Cool. They were probably like, oh gosh. Kind of like when I when I when you and I walked down here and and this you could hear the whole room this side of the room go, oh man. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we I got you uh, here recorded. You can use you can walk around however much you want. Um, and actually, I'm just going to stick that right here because you kind of you do tra- travel around a little bit, don't you? So, I do, but okay, I that's all right. also don't wear a watch. So. Oh no, I wear a watch. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my wife said, you know, they don't know you very well. Maybe being concise would be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why, don't, why don't we go with a prayer and, uh, that'll help me and all of us to just prepare our, our hearts to receive the Word of God, what the Holy Spirit would want to say to us. Father, thank you so much for the gift of, of time. And to be able to come into your presence, into your into your sanctuary, and experience holy moments where we get to partake of the body and blood of your Son Jesus, to have a, a moment to reflect on your Word and what it's speaking and saying to us. So we ask that the that your Holy Spirit would be operative in all of our hearts and our minds, um, in my mouth and our ears. Help us to glean what you would have us to learn tonight and apply it to our lives. And we ask this in the name of your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to uh, first thank all of you because uh, you know during this, this has been a much longer election process than any of us would have ever hoped for. Um, and one of the casualties of the extended nature of this has been your church. Um, because you haven't had the undivided attention of your rector, who mainly should be focused on Jesus, which he is, uh, but also should be giving you and uh, a lot more time than he's been able to give you. And uh, I'm very mindful of that, and I want you to know that I'm very appreciative of it. Uh, I've known Joe for a, a long time, um, in different contexts, and um, I've gotten to see what kind of character he has as, as a person, as a man of God, and a priest of this church. And he, he gives a lot, very sacrificially. Um, and I know he does to you too, but I just want you to hear uh, from somebody that's very grateful for the sacrifice that he's made, and I know that it's been sacrificial for you as well. So thank you for for uh, putting up with all of, all of it, and, uh, and it's not lost on those of us who are going through it with you. So, um, I want to uh, have us just think about, uh, Joe just gave me a broad topic, the, the disciplines of freedom, and I, uh, you know, started to look, look at different disciplines. There's a list here of disciplines that are they're known as spiritual disciplines. Um, this, this list, I believe, is the one that Dallas Willard uses in his book, The Spirit of Disciplines. There's a book called uh, Celebration of Discipline that was Richard Foster's, a very famous uh, book on spiritual disciplines. And I'll start with a quote from Richard Foster. He says, the purpose of the disciplines is freedom. Our aim is, is the freedom, not the discipline. 
The moment we make the discipline our central focus, we will turn it into law and lose the corresponding freedom. So let us forever center on Christ and view the spiritual disciplines as a way of drawing us closer to his heart. And so here's, here's some different ones here. Um, Dallas Willard puts them into two different categories, the disciplines of abstinence and the disciplines of engagement. Disciplines of abstinence, uh, solitude, so what would you be abstaining from if you were being alone? What? This is an extrovert's nightmare, to be alone. Because extroverts get energy from being around people. Um, introverts naturally gravitate towards solitude uh, because they get their batteries charged from being alone. But um, solitude is an abstinence from people and getting alone and being just with God. Um, silence, an abstinence from speaking, just listening, being in a quiet place. One of the things that's very interesting when you study the life of Jesus, he often, it says, goes away early in the morning to a quiet place where he's just communing with the Father. Fasting is a discipline we see throughout the pages of Scripture, but abstaining from all food together, all, all of the food, uh, abstaining from just certain things, like certain people um, on Fridays don't eat uh, meat. You could abstain from soft drinks. Uh, I know a lot of Episcopalians who have alcohol challenges uh, abstain from wine during the season of Lent, right? Nobody here, though. <laughs> and then uh, abstaining, uh, Sabbath, abstaining from work. And the Bible, actually, in the Old Testament, had Sabbath seasons where you would abstain um, in, a, in a, an entire week. Or, or they actually had a jubilee year where you would have a Sabbath year. And so there, there are... Um, different ways that you can do these various forms of abstinence. Secrecy is an interesting one. Um, that that is, uh, comes from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus encourages us to do everything that we do in secret. You know, so giving in secret, or praying in secret, or fasting in secret. Because then we really genuinely know that we're doing it out of God, and not for anybody else to give us accolades for how pious and spiritual we are. Um, submission is an interesting one. Uh, not asserting ourselves in order to come under authority, wisdom, and power. Jesus Christ is our Lord. So, uh, abstaining from being in charge. Abstaining from being the one that has to control things. And going through a discipline of submitting. That's a hard, that's a hard one. So, um, I, the other side, I don't, I don't want to go through this all tonight, but the you know, Bible reading, worship, prayer, there's things that you can add into your disciplines as well. And you might take a look at those lists and see what's interesting to you. And I know many of you are probably already engaged in some of those practices this Lent and uh, taken on a discipline. I'll just show, I just did the you know, thing in secret, right? But who here is, did take on something special during Lent or, take, or abstain from something, you know? Yeah. 
uh, all the jewels in your crown just fell out by writing uh, about that. But the, um, I want to spend some time thinking about the freedom aspect of discipline and what, how they work. What, it, what is it that they're actually doing in our life? And so the first question is, well, what do we need to be liberated from? What freedom from what? What's the bondage? What's the slavery? What's the, the thing that's holding us down? Well, when you start to study scripture, you actually find out that as human beings, we are in bondage to a whole lot of things. That, that our lives are, are just naturally gravitate to be enslaved. And um, it's because of, of the fall. And there, there are forces in this world at work that want to keep us in bondage and enslaved. And, and so the, right off the bat, one of the things that we're needing to be liberated from is what is sometimes called the evil trinity. We've got the good trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the evil trinity is, is the, the three things that we renounce when we're baptized into Christ. Satan and the spiritual forces of evil, the corrupt powers of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, and the sinful desires of the flesh that draw us from the love of God. And what the scriptures teach is that we are actually in bondage to these three things apart from Christ. That, that Satan is actually, if we're not under the authority of Jesus, our lives are being run by another spiritual power and authority. And if we're not under uh, his um, work of, of lordship in this world, his kingdom, then we are of the kingdom of this world. And you, it's remember Bob Dylan's uh, song, You Gotta Serve Somebody? From, from his Christian days. <laughs> you gotta serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be yourself, but you're gonna serve somebody. And so, uh, the last one, of course, is, is the conflict that we have within of, of the bondage to self and the bondage of the will. The scriptures talk a lot about that. And this is one of the important things that we are being liberated from by the spiritual disciplines, is the bondage of the will. Um, Romans chapter 1, I know it was very interesting in your previous day, Somebody stamped the top of the book so you know which one's the Bible. Uh, <laughs> it's really cool. Romans chapter 1. It also on the front says the Bible. So you could, you could take a look at that. But Romans chapter 1. If you have a Bible or you want to look at the one in the pews, the one marked Bible. Uh, Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed against, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power 
and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So what is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that ever since the beginning of God's creation, we human beings have been walking around in an amphitheater to God's glory. That everything about this whole entire creation points to Him, proclaims His praise, says there is a, a divine power and authority to which we owe our allegiance and our worship and our very lives. But then what does it go on to say? Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. And then it goes on to have a series of three God gave them up he gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to the dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind. Part of what Paul is arguing here, and he's going to unravel what he's arguing in chapter 1 through the rest of the book of Romans, is that human beings fundamentally are idol factories. That, that our, our basic problem as human beings, is that we have disoriented our lives from being image God image bearers and have turned our hearts, our minds, and our actions towards idolatry. And, and the great thing that we need to fundamentally be saved from and have happen in our lives is that we get disconnected from the idolatry and reorient our hearts and our lives back to the worship of the one true God. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, we, we are worshipers, and, and fundamentally, our worship has become disoriented. And in that, we, as human beings, have become corrupted. And, and we've, we're corrupted in our minds, in the way we think about things, we're corrupted in our hearts and what we love and what we desire and long for in life. And we chase after the things that and put our love and passions and affections on things that we shouldn't. You know, like money or power or, you know, sexual pleasure or whatever it is. We fill in the blank. Um, I think our loves change over time, but... Our desires have become corrupted and our actions for that reason because of our thinking and our, and our hearts are going in the wrong direction. And so the program that is outlined by Jesus and, and the writers of the New Testament is that God is in the process of reversing all that. That he is wanting to reorient our worship back to him, reconciling the world back to himself. And, and in doing that, it's going to reorient the way that we think about things, how we feel and what we desire, and the reorienting of our behaviors. Now, the hard thing about that is we can't do any of that ourselves. And this is, you know, as Paul, Paul starts 
off this letter to the Romans with a whole lot of bad news. And what he's trying to get across to us is that because we are enslaved to idolatry and to sin, that, that there's really no help within us. And, and so what we desperately need is some provision from God from outside of ourselves, And that comes in the person of Jesus. And then the work that he does on our behalf in dying on a cross for our sins and forgiving us and giving us his grace. But then the other thing that Paul argues is that Jesus is not content enough to just save us from our sins and from condemnation and this wrath that he talks about here in Romans chapter 1. But that God actually wants us to become better people. To have a reorientation because we've been reconciled back with God. To have a reorientation of our lives back to right worship, back to good thinking, back to better heart's desires, and back to better actions. And so, when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, one of the things that um, we have to be careful about is spiritual disciplines actually don't save us from anything. They don't, uh, they don't, we can't work our way into God's good graces by, you know, fasting enough or um, reading enough scriptures or giving enough alms or whatever it is. I mean, name the discipline. Lord, I, I have been solitude and solitude for five hours. Surely this will earn my place in heaven. It doesn't work that way. But, so what are they what are they doing? Well, not only has has Jesus uh, saved us from the judgment of God, the wrath of God, condemnation, given us grace, freedom, forgiveness, to where we don't have to earn our salvation. But he's also infused us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is um, working in our hearts to uh, literally change us with the righteousness of God from the inside out, empowering us from within to... Um, to want to think the right things and to love the right ways and to do the right things. And so what the, what the spiritual disciplines are doing is not earning our salvation, but actually uh, sort of creating some environment in which the Holy Spirit can do its work in our lives. Does that make sense? And so okay. You've got to kind of come at life change indirectly. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be humble today. <laughs> I think I'm going to work on humility. Because as soon as you start trying to directly deal with humility, and you just kind of name it and claim it, I'm humble today, <laughs> that becomes quite silly. So you don't get at humility directly. You get it humility indirectly. So let's take an example of one of the disciplines. One of, one of the ones that, um, that I have really benefited from of late is solitude, actually. And I'm, I'm kind of an extrovert. I, I like being around people. 
But I have valued just getting out and being um, by myself because my brain is going a million different directions. And, and I have to, in, in, you know, other spiritual practices, I think yoga, they call it the monkey brain, right? Is that what they call it? The, um, my monkey brain goes crazy. It's your reactive self that is, you know, going through the busyness of life and the busyness and the battles of life and your, and your brain's just going a million miles an hour and being alone with your thoughts and in the presence of God, one, reveals that your brain is doing that. For one. Um, and so, so being outside, being alone, not listening to anything even, not listening to a sermon, not even listening to music, but just being in quiet. All of a sudden, my, my brain has a moment to kind of catch up with itself, to be quiet. And, and then some of these thoughts get or ordered in such a way that they actually can be turned into prayers. Now, um, if I had gone after my thinking and just said, you need to stop doing that, that wouldn't work. But indirectly, I'm dealing with a, a challenge that I'm struggling with in my, in my life, racing brain, by coming at it with a different tack, indirectly. Um, you can do this with a lot of the different disciplines. You know, the uh, fasting, for example. Uh, when I was in, in college, I really liked this one girl. It wasn't, it wasn't Brooke. Uh, I, was, I just thought she was, it was before I met Brooke. But it was, she was really pretty, and I just thought that she ought to date me, but she didn't think the same way that I did. And I just couldn't get, her, get this girl out of my head. And one of my friends said, one, it's not going to go your way, Charlie, so you just got to give it up. And I'm like, man, I just you know, want her to love me. And, and he said, why don't you fast? <laughs> well, that's not going to make her not like me or not like me or just going fast. And I fasted actually for, I think, two or three days straight. And one of the things that it did is it reoriented my desires towards hunger, for what? <laughs> but it also just, you know, released me from, you know, being in love with a person. And, and I needed that. I needed, to be, I needed to be liberated. You know, this is where the disciplines can set you free from things. You know, I've given you two examples here. Set me free from a racing mind. Set me free from a, a, an infatuation. Um, is there a place in your life that you need to work on something? You know, whether you have an addiction or you have, um, like right now, I think a lot of people are addicted to social media and some people need to not be addicted to that. So, how do you indirectly go at something in order to set you free from that? And maybe it's doing some
something like study in the morning instead of Facebook. Um, so you, you, you replace it with a, a positive activity, a Bible reading, and get into the Word. Um, you know, a lot of times things like that, you have to put it in the freezer or something. I don't know, take, your, take it into a different place. My wife's going, um, you have a problem with social media right now. No. Um, I was getting a strange look. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think this, uh, this is one of the addictions of our day, is social media and trying to be liberated from these kinds of things. So, um, the indirect method. Let's see what else we have here. I wanted to uh, read this quote about the in indirect method. Um, the spiritual di discipline is an intentionally, it's not in your paper. I have it on my The spiritual discipline is an intentionally directed action by which we do what we can do in order to receive from God the ability or power to do what we cannot do by direct effort. We do what we can do in order to receive from God the ability or power to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Richard Foster writes this, he says, We cannot, by direct effort, make ourselves into the kind of people who can live fully alive to God. Only God can accomplish this in us. We do not, for example, become humble merely by trying to become humble. Action on our Action on our own would make us all the more proud of our humility. No, we instead train with spiritual disciplines appropriate to our need by an act of the will. We choose to take up disciplines of the spiritual life that we can do. These disciplines are all actions of the body, mind, and spirit that are within our power to do. Then the grace of God steps in, takes this simple offering of ourselves, and creates out of it the kind of person who embodies the goodness of God. But I, I like that. Um, I want to. I want to just close by. Uh, how are we doing on time? I mean, you got 19 minutes. Oh, 19 minutes. Well, it might take about that to unpack this. I want to. I want to close by by thinking about one of the major things that I'm learning through this process that I've been going through with the with the bishop's election. Um, I've always been a person who has wanted to be above reproach. And the scriptures say that about clergy. That clergy are supposed to be above reproach. And what that means is, is that your reputation with outsiders is good. That people, um, that people speak well of you. That you're not going to scandalize the body of Christ by having, um, you know, some bad character or something that, that people will malign you for. And one of the things that can happen to, to clergy is that it can become a lot about your reputation. Where you, uh, you know, people do speak well of you. Um, you come out of you know, church, you preach your sermon. I don't know if you ever do this to Joe, but you say, that's a really fantastic sermon. They never say that? <laughs> You're such a handsome minister. 
really like your wife? Yes. You <laughs> have No, that, but you, you um, when you're a public figure, you actually uh, get mail, you know, and you, and you pay attention to your mail and what people are saying about you. Well, when, with this process for me, uh, that has not been a helpful thing to, to pay attention to the mail. Because uh, in some cases, my reputation has been stripped of me. And, uh, you know, in other places, people say positive things. But because there's so much invested, like it's, it's like any other elective process. There are those who want you to be elected and those who don't want you to be elected. And in this world, um, when people don't want you to be elected to something, they come after you in your character. And it's, a, it's an ugly process to have to go through. But, but the, um, the discipline of that for me, I think, is working good things in my life. Where I'm being stripped of what um, I've come to think of as a false, a false view of self. A lot of us um, have a false self that we put in front of our true self whenever we're acting or interacting. I, I, I think I probably used the right word the first time. Acting in front of people. We, we uh, have uh, an image of ourself that's that we say, and a lot of a lot of it has to do, and we, we have these kind of conversations all the time, every single day, you know, where we give our bona fides. You know, well, where did you go to school? Uh, what is your job? What did, what do you do for a living? Uh, how wonderful are your children? You know, what we have a we have a whole list of things that we put in front of ourselves that are the um, the false self. And again, Facebook is really good about putting forward that false self. Well, one of the things that Jesus did for us is he actually stripped himself of his true self. This is what Paul is writing about in his letter to the Philippians, where he was in the very nature God, but did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, the Greek word is the word kenosis, he emptied himself and became obedient even to obedience unto death. Became a servant. And therefore God exalted him and raised him up to the higher, highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That's Philippians 2. It's the, the great parabola. Now what Paul says when he starts that whole section is that that should be our mindset. That, that we should be like Christ in that trajectory. That, that there should be something that happens in our Christian walk and Christian life that empties itself. And that we will go through a process of kenosis and dying to self. And there is the easy way to do that and the hard way that that can happen in your life. Um, the easy way is that you use spiritual disciplines to practice dying to self. 
through the disciplines of abstinence or taking on something that's kind of hard. And it's like exercise and working out. You know, you're 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 hurting in doing that, but you're you're training yourself in godliness by doing it. So so that's the easy way to do it. The hard way is if it gets done to you without you wanting it. And this world will do it to you as well. I've often observed that when I come go into the sick room in a hospital, and, I, and I'm very aware of it and very ready for it, that the person that is on the bed is more open to God than they ever would have been in their entire life. I, I walked into the room of a person who is an atheist, when I was, I was a chaplain in a hospital, and I, I introduced, I'm Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> so the, if you have to say that about your joke, it probably isn't. So the, uh, I walk into the room, and, it, and I, I said, hey, I'm, I'm Charlie, I'm a chaplain, and, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm here to pray with patients, if you would like that, and he announced, well, I'm an atheist. And I, I said, well, I still would, would pray for you if you want a prayer. And he goes, well, it'll make you feel better. <laughs> and so I said, well, I kind of would. So I, I said a prayer for him, and, uh, and afterwards I asked, did it make you feel better? And he said, you know what? It did. And it's interesting. A hard-hearted atheist in a hospital is open to prayer. I mean, it's really fascinating. I don't think I've ever been turned down for prayer in the hospital. I have been outside of the hospital. You know, we when we go through hard times and difficulties and challenges like this diocese is going through right now, like your record's going through, I'm going through, my family, um, God works disciplines in our lives that actually set us free from things that are for his good. Um, you know, the Paul, later in the book of Philippians, he starts to list his, his resume. He says, you know, I, if I, I, anyone has things to boast about, brag about themselves, I do. You know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, a tribe of Benjamin. I suppose that's one of the good ones. I, you know, he's a Pharisee. Which means he was trained, you know, in, in a religious order. He's a member of the clergy. He uh, was trained under one of the best rabbis in, in all of Israel at the time, Rabbi Gamil. And so Paul was like top in his class. And, and he goes through his list of all of the things about himself. And he says, it's all a bunch of rubbish. Now, why did he get to that place? Because he was in prison. He had had every aspect of his dignity stripped from him. And, and he was shown grace by the gift of the Holy Spirit and by the generosity of the church from Philippi who sent um, a messenger to go and love on Paul and minister to his needs in that moment. And he was humbled even to the point of death, where Paul is in prison and he's wrestling with, it's 
in Philippians, there's this letter where he has this um, Hamlet soliloquy, to be, to be or not to be. Should I go and be with the Lord, or should I stay here? And he says, I'm gonna, I know going to be with the Lord would be better, but I'll stay here because it means continued fruitful ministry with you. And so Paul, Paul had had everything stripped away from him in that moment. And he realized something very important about his false self, that it's a bunch of rubbish. And he, and he came to a place in his thinking, going through this discipline, that there's only one thing that I want. I want to know Christ. I want to, I want to fellowship and the share of his sufferings. And somehow, by doing that, attain to the resurrected life. It's a very powerful moment in the life of the apostle where, where um, through a hard way discipline, he came, uh, he came to a most glorious moment in his own spiritual formation where the only thing that matters is knowing Jesus and somehow being like him. And Paul later, at the way he ends that letter, is some of the most profound um, spiritual wisdom and advice that he ever gave, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, Make your requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus. He's just, you know, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is noble, He has this whole list of all the great things. Think about these things. I've learned the secret of contentment. That's what Paul writes I've learned the secret of contentment. And, and his contentment, his peace, and, and, you know, that word rejoice, his joy, was in the midst of one of the most difficult things that he had ever gone through in his life. Isn't that interesting? And so, you know, fundamentally what the Lord, and I'm going to end here. No, I've got two minutes, right? Uh, fundamentally, uh, what the Lord wants to see in your life and in my life is, is that our lives would bring worship and praise to Him. That we would glorify Jesus in our thinking, in our heart's desires, in the way that we live, in our actions. And in, and in doing so, uh, we will be restored to the fullness of what it means to truly be a human being. The way that God designed us to be and has redeemed us to become. So let me pray. It's no need to my Bible today. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the gift of, of uh, discipline. It's, uh, it's not always fun, but there is, there is joy and contentment that comes on the other side of it. As we go through um, 
either hard things that we have uh, taken on ourselves through seasons like Lent, or in the hard things that we just go through in life because we live in a sinful and fallen world. You are remaking us to be your children. And so we, we groan inwardly with words that we cannot express by the gift of your Spirit and ask that you would transfigure our hearts and our minds and our actions and our lives themselves to be um, a worshiping body of Christ unto you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. Terribly sorry to all of you, um, but I forgot to introduce Brooke. Uh, so, Brooke Holt, thank you so much for being here, and uh, we'll have you next Lent because Brooke is a fabulous teacher in her own, and, and maybe before that. Actually, let's just do let's just plan on that. Yeah, um, she's a fabulous teacher in her own right. Uh, thank you. We probably have time. It's gonna be hard to pick which hand. We have time for maybe one question. Okay. <laughs> About anything. I mean. <laughs> I would think about what you talked about. <laughs> yeah. I just want to thank you for being such a kind teacher. I'm going to you. There's no doubt now. You hear your words. God placed you here with us. Thank you. I told you Offer us your blessing. Yeah, actually, I'll offer you that blessing that Paul gave. Please This is right out of Philippians chapter 4. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you now and always. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. You're welcome. We sat next to you at the cathedral. Oh, you did? When you gave everything, and I was really impressed then. And I'm sorry you've had all these challenges. Kind of like the dad's like, yeah. uh, 